And now as a forgiven and a beloved people, let us hear today's gospel reading. We will be hearing from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And I am reading from the Common English Bible translation, but I encourage you, as always, to hear this or to follow along in the biblical language that best connects you with God. So once again, let us hear today from Matthew 25, 1 through 13, and let us hear of the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Wise and foolish virgins? All right, well, we're going to roll with ten bridesmaids. Let's go with that, all right? The ten young ladies, if you will. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout. Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up, trimmed their lamps, and headed out. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there won't be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Thus ends our reading. These are the lessons of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <sighs> this is a rough one, y'all. So for those who are not familiar with what is actually happening here, Jesus is using a parable to explain to those who are listening what the kingdom of God is like. And this is a, one of a series of parables or short stories that he tells as a way of trying to make sense of his message. And I use make sense loosely because this one, I think, creates more questions than answers. <laughs> 
Now, sometimes we come across a scripture, or in this case, a parable of Jesus's that does seem to give us more questions than answers. And I don't know about you, but this is certainly one of those for me. Now, most of the questions that I have, and maybe you have as well, I'm sure come from a place of, for lack of a better way to say it, ignorance. And maybe ignorance isn't the prettiest word for where we find ourselves when it comes to this parable. So let's go with a place of not knowing. Not knowing the importance of some of the points that Jesus is emphasizing here. Not knowing of the context or the culture that would make this particular parable so significant that the original writers of Matthew felt it necessary to put it in there, or why this would have really sat with the hearers of the gospel in a way that they could more fully understand what it was that Jesus was trying to convey about the kingdom or the kingdom of God. And so from my place of not knowing, because yes, pastors sometimes don't know, I made a list of my questions. And then I went back to the scripture and do some research for the answers. And and these were the questions that I had. Where's the bride? That's my first question. Where is she in all of this? Why was it important that the bridesmaids meet the bridegroom at the gates? Why is he late? Brian? (laughs) Why is the bridegroom so late that people are falling asleep waiting for him? Why is he moving into someone else's house and acting like he owns the place? Who is he not to open the door? He's a guest too. I have so many questions. But like so much in 2023, there seems to be very little by way of answers. Now, one of the places I often go to when I'm struggling with a text is something called the New Interpreter's Bible. For those of us who remember a time where we had to do research papers with a giant encyclopedia in the library, um, it's one of those. If you go into my office, you will see a long row of thick books that offer interpretations from various scholars on our different texts. And it's one of the places that I go to when I'm scratching my head and asking a lot of questions. And it has all kinds of interpretations, scholarly works, essays from rabbis, pastors, biblical scholars, history teachers, even economists. It's one of the first places I go to. And it's a great resource for when you're stuck. So when I get to the commentary on the parable of the bridesmaids, I go in, pull out the big old commentary on Matthew, which is significant in size, and I flip to the pages that are dedicated to this specific text. And I found no answers. The scholars are asking the same questions I am, and isn't that great? So, according to the scholars, here's the thing. There isn't enough that's known about the marriage customs and rules around weddings in first century Palestine to give us any clear picture about where Jesus was going with this. And if you go back through the Gospel of Matthew, 
Weddings are a real problem for him. It seems like the writer of this gospel has got an issue with weddings in general. And I say this because if you look at chapters 9 and 22, which I know you all are totally going to do after today, if you look at 9 and 22, there's also a mention of weddings and wedding parties where something goes missed or something happens or something seems off. Matthew's got something about weddings. And this definitely then brought me down a rabbit hole of wedding customs, wedding parties, Pinterest boards, YouTube videos of cats in weddings. There was a real rabbit hole here. Um, Like I discovered that in some Asian traditions, you wear red instead of white because white is the color of mourning and red is the color of celebration. And I'm not just talking any kind of red. Color of our carpeting red. Can you imagine? Actually, you probably can if you remember my Pentecost dress from this year. So y'all know what that looks like. So I was completely off track at this point in my research. Um, I do recommend looking up videos of cats on YouTube if you need a break from the world. It's, it's an amazing thing. Um, But the reality of it is, is that as I was doing this research, I found myself identifying more and more with the foolish or sleepy bridesmaids and less and less with the bride and the bridegroom, who in my opinion is kind of terrible. So back to the scripture I went. And what I found was this story, this parable, is unique to Matthew. As one commentary said, there are points of contact with some of the other parables that are outlined in Luke and in Mark, our other two Gospels, but it is in and of itself a story that only appears in Matthew. So yet again, clearly Matthew's got an issue with these kinds of celebrations. And some scholars have even suggested that this is more of the writer's commentary on the state of the early church than on individuals. Because remember, each of these gospels is written for a particular community. And so Gospel of Matthew has something to say about this early church and and how they are making their way through the world as a community. And when I saw that, when I read that, it all came together, finally. This is not a parable about damnation or separation. This is not a parable about being a good enough believer or being ready for Jesus creeping in the night to arrive. This is a parable about readiness, about being willing to use what you have when you have it and not wait for the right time or a special occasion. Now, beloveds, we've read enough of the letters of Paul, or as you have often heard me say, maybe Paul, to know that the early church was really trying to figure itself out, to figure out its identity, who they were in the world, and who they were in relation to other Jesus followers and other Jewish communities that they found themselves a part of. 
And one of the issues facing the church of the Matthian community, the, the gospel of Matthew was written for this community, was this. This trying to figure out who you are as a follower of Christ. Now, I'm not exactly saying that this sounds familiar, but I'm saying this kind of sounds familiar. Amen? This was one of the big issues facing the church, and it's one of the big issues facing us now. And not just the first century community which Matthew addresses, but it also is something that needs to be said in our 21st century churches, and yes, I would even say our church detractors. Many of them are asking the same questions that these early church communities are. Not so much, where's the bride, or why is the groom late, but... Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? When's he going to get here? What in the world are we supposed to do with ourselves in the meantime? See, at the very beginning of this parable, we're told that some of the women in the bridal party are foolish and wise. But let's change that. Let's change that to some were ready and prepared for worst case scenario. And some of them were just assuming that everything was going to go according to plan. That things would be on time, dude's going to show up when he's supposed to, everyone's going to be dressed, ready to go. So why carry around extra oil, which is expensive and hard to come by, when one lamp should be enough? It's not their fault he didn't show. And besides, who are these bridesmaids that aren't sharing? Who hasn't shared with their friends before? I know that if I need a chapstick and I can't find one, I have friends who have three, at least three in various places. You know who you are. There's the pocketbook chapstick, the car chapstick, the, oh, I found this in my winter coat chapstick, There's the desk chapstick, the bedside table chapstick, the makeup bag chapstick. I have a pulpit chapstick in case anyone is in need. Because look, you can't get caught with chapped lips. It's New England and we're getting into the winter time. But who hasn't shared? Now some of you, well you don't have it, well okay, Bob doesn't have a car chapstick and Sally needs to work on that. But who hasn't shared with each other in a time of need? So where's Matthew going with this is the next question. And again, I believe it's a story of being prepared and staying alert, but also about not saving the good stuff for later, but using it and sharing it. So knowing that we don't know anything about early Palestinian wedding customs, and knowing that we don't know anything about why Mr. Bridesmaid, Mr. Bridegroom is acting like a creep and not letting people into a house that isn't his own, is there any wisdom in this for us today? Even with all those looming question marks hanging over it, and I believe there is. There is wisdom and there is hope. I think it speaks louder than ever especially to us today. How many of us have fine china or good silverware at our houses or our grandparents' homes 
that never get used. I remember my great aunt, Diti Cristina, had a whole room dedicated to the phrase, don't go in there. In New England, I think we would refer to it as the pala. There was a hutch filled with gorgeous china. She had a thing for jadro figurines, those I don't know if you've ever seen those before, but they're the china figurines that have these beautiful, like, flowing lines to them. There was silverware in a mahogany box. It probably weighed 50,000 pounds. And inside that box was a silk liner and more spoons, knives, forks, things I didn't even recognize than anyone in the world would ever need. And carpets older than my dad but still with a perfect pile on them because you weren't allowed to step on it. How many of us are already imagining this room and can smell it? Or feel the plastic on the furniture on the backs of your legs, right? We, we all have that. And I remember wondering, why didn't we ever use it? And I was told as a child, because it was for special occasions. Thing is, the special occasions never happened. Nothing was ever special enough, it seemed, to warrant bringing the good stuff out. And when she passed, no one wanted it. Not because it wasn't beautiful, not because it wasn't expensive, because trust me, it was. Diti had very interesting taste. I often tell my kids, they too have very expensive taste. It's a champagne taste on a Mountain Dew budget. <laughs> Diti had this incredible sense for things that were beautiful and fragile and expensive. But no one wanted it because there was no warmth to any of it. There were no memories attached to it. Nothing inviting us to bring it out and say, remember when we used these glasses at the Christmas party in 19... <laughs> when we celebrated so-and-so? Or this was Abuelita, which is like granny. This was Abuelita's gravy dish. And we always used it at the holidays when the family would come by for the annual parties at Viti's. There was none of that. And the church so often is the same. You see, we have incredibly precious things here. We have things that are intensely beautiful and alive with memories attached to them. We have the gospel, a life-giving, life-affirming, transformational message Good news, the message of Christ. We have a community of believers who are a family. And that is precious and so very needed in a broken world where loneliness has been identified as a top health risk and an epidemic in the U.S. by our own Surgeon General. But we don't share it sometimes. We often we don't share what we have, 
except on special occasions. How often have you invited someone to just everyday church? Or shared the podcast with just the sermon with someone who might need to hear a message of hope or grace? Or even just shared openly how life is really going for you with one another and your pastor? Why are we saving the good stuff for special occasions? Why are we saving the good stuff for special occasions? No matter what, whether we share it or not, the work of the church will continue. But after we're gone, will people want to take that over? if they don't know that we have it. Beloveds, no matter what, the work of the church continues and it doesn't change. Sure, the situations we may find ourselves change in big or small ways. We're we're always in a state of flux. But the work, the true work, the, the beautiful things that we have here, which is bringing hope to the hopeless, or the binding of wounded hearts and spirits, the the work of transforming our world around us, that doesn't change. And it is beautiful. And there is always an occasion to share it. Why do we save what we have here for special occasions? Why do we only invite folks into our sacred spaces for funerals or weddings or baptisms or Christmas Eve or Easter? Every day is a special occasion because it is a gift that we have been given by God. The world is broken. Our communities are divided. And the gospel matters. It matters every day because every day is special. So stop saving the good stuff. Share it. Bring that stuff out every single day and do it because it is beautiful and fragile and precious because it is an alternative to the world as it is, which is heavy and angry and dark. We must use and share what is special and unique about us here What is beautiful and refreshing and awe-inspiring about this place and this message that we bring, that it is possible, anything is possible when you do it with love. That it is possible, even in a world that tells us we should not, to live into the example of Christ. To love wastefully. To give generously. And this is a place where we listen deeply to each other, where we hold one another and our communities, even when we disagree. This is a place to sit down for a meal with people, whether they look like us or sound like us or not. And that goes beyond race or ethnicity. It includes ideology. Red hats, blue hats, you know what I'm talking about. This is a place of beauty and love 
and it deserves to be shared with everyone. This is a place where we can all learn how to look at the world from a lens of doing justice, of loving mercy, of walking humbly with God and one another, and most importantly, most special of all the things that we have is that this is a place of welcome and love. The kind of love that is so special and so precious that God can't help but show it to us every single day. The kind of love that Jesus literally embodied and showed us was possible even in the most difficult or dangerous of circumstances, we celebrate a Savior who died for love of us because we are worthy of the special things. It's the kind of love that doesn't get stored away waiting for a special occasion because every occasion is special and deserves to be celebrated. So let's stop saving the good stuff for another day, beloveds. And let's start living and sharing that precious, beautiful stuff that we have, which is the stuff of love, the stuff of the gospel, the love and stuff, if you will, of God. May it be so for each and every one of us. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Who's ready to start sharing the stuff? I know I am.